0: Chapter 8 of the Book of English Martyrs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. A Book of English Martyrs by E. M. Wilmot Buxton. Chapter 8 The First Fruits of the Jesuit Mission. 1581. Touching our society, all the Jesuits in the world have made a league cheerfully to carry the cross, that you may lay upon us and never to despair your recovery, while we have a man left to enjoy your Tyburn. The Challenge of Father Campion The first day of December, 1581, saw the wood of Tyburn tree dyed with the blood of three martyrs who short as their mission had been had sown seed in england that was to bear brave fruit thereafter of the first of these blessed edmund campion it is hard to speak in a few words for the charm of his personality and the adventurous character of his sojourn in this country makes one want to linger over the details of his story but as that cannot be we will try to follow him in the different phases of his career by glancing at a series of pictures showing him at the more critical moments of his life the first takes us back to the year fifteen fifty three on the day when mary of england entered london through the old gate or altar gate on her coronation procession to the royal residence in the tower it was a glad day for those citizens who had received the poor little nine days queen lady jane grey in such grim silence a short time before with the return of the true queen the evil days of unrest and disorder and changes of religion that were liked as little as they were understood would pass away and so the londoners greeted the dignified little lady who sat upon her white palfrey in a pearl-embroidered robe of crimson velvet with shouts of unfeigned joy in the wide space outside st paul's cathedral the procession comes to a standstill and we see advancing from the midst of a crowd of blue-coat boys from the recently established school in newgate street a bright-faced lad of thirteen years who has been selected to make an oration in latin predicting the justice mercy and religion that had returned to england with the accession of the queen and mary tudor smiles upon him graciously little thinking that less than thirty years later this charming boy with his ready tongue and nimble wit would have gained his martyr's crown as blessed edmund campion the Jesuit priest and missioner. Five years later, when the tragedy of Mary's reign was accomplished, and the Protestant religion was declared to be the faith of England, we see young Edmund Campion again. He is fellow of his college at Oxford now. He is still famous for his eloquence, so famous indeed that he cares more for worldly arts and learning than for theology and is content to take the oath of supremacy and to defer the consideration of serious matters till a more convenient season so popular is he that a band of gallant youngsters like himself are proud to dub themselves campionists and to enroll themselves as his pupils and when a great public display is to be made at oxford on the occasion of the burial of the unfortunate amy robsart it is campion who makes the oration and wins the approval of dudley the future earl of leicester nay in fifteen sixty six when queen elizabeth herself visits the university he is selected to make the oration in her honour and though there are indications that he is getting uneasy as to his position under a queen of whose father he had already said that he destroyed the religion and commonwealth of england the things of this world praise popularity ambition are as yet too strong for him he has not abjured the faith in which he had been born but like his parents and most other folks at that time he has ceased to practise his religion and so after he has made his successful disputation before the queen we find him gladly accepting her patronage and the friendship of leicester then her chancellor who spoke of him in after days as one of the diamonds of england amidst the infinite praises of all men that were given to campion at this time there came grave risk lest he should lose his immortal soul, as their price. Yet while he longed to follow up the course so successfully begun, and under Lester's influence, to become one of Elizabeth's most brilliant orators, his conscience ever tender left him no peace of mind. Fortunately, he had not ceased to pray for light, especially after the study of the fathers of the church, which his college course imposed on him but for a while he compromised he was at this time much under the influence of one richard cheney bishop of gloucester who persuaded himself that while loathing the doctrines of the established church he might still hold office in the same if he privately believed in those of catholicism and taught them as far as possible and this subterfuge was now held out to campion as a means of taking orders still blinded by ambition and by a temperament naturally inclined to a peaceful settlement of knotty points edmund was induced to take so-called orders as a deacon in order to help bishop cheney and to use his powers of eloquence as a preacher from that moment his conscience gave him no peace at all louder and louder grew the call to escape from his false position at any cost and as so often happens his weak will was braced at this crisis by an apparently chance event the grocers company whose exhibition largely maintained him at oxford uneasy as to his orthodoxy suddenly demanded that he should preach a protestant sermon at paul's cross perhaps the remembrance of his oration on that same spot fifteen years ago before a catholic queen awoke in the young man's mind anyway he refused the call resigned his exhibition and in the next year fifteen sixty nine left oxford for the next two years we find him in ireland living among catholics as a catholic though still more concerned with plans for refounding a university at dublin than with the propagation of the faith then came the sting of persecution to stimulate his dormant soul his name was on the list of those to be apprehended as dangerous recusants after the posting of the bull of excommunication in fifteen seventy and Campion, lately the admired orator and popular tutor of his college, becomes Campion the fugitive, though a merry and high-hearted one, fleeing for his safety to Doway, whither his chief friend, Gregory Martin, had been calling him for some time past. Here, no doubt, he was formally reconciled to the church, and became from henceforth one of her most ardent converts, Yahweh, full of enthusiasm as it was, could not satisfy a soul that was not only intent on the utmost for the highest, but was full of remorse for its past lukewarmness. After two years of study for the priesthood, we find him travelling the road to Rome in pilgrim's garb, to seek admission to the society of Jesus. He has indeed cast the things of this world behind him, and has set his eyes steadfastly on the eternal seven years later when father campion had been for five quiet years a teacher of rhetoric in the jesuit college at prague the call to action came the probation had been a long one and not seldom must that enthusiastic spirit eager for active service and fired by the rumors of persecution and martyrdom among his own people have yearned for a share in the honours of the fight and yet for five long years his work had been to teach boys latin to wash dishes in the kitchen and to visit the prisons and hospitals of the town as a humble priest thus was this finely tempered soul trained and disciplined for the one year of glorious work which lay before him in his native land the call to action comes first in a letter from dr allen the founder of doway then at rome in order to obtain the assistance of the jesuits in the english mission tenderly he writes to this beloved son of his since your brethren after the flesh call upon you for though you hear not their words god has heard their prayers i who am so closely connected with you with them and with our common country both in the world and in the Lord, must not be the only one to keep silence, when I should be the first to call you. I do not stay to inquire what your own wish may be, since it is your happiness to live not by your own will, but by others. Our harvest is already great in England. Ordinary laborers are not enough. More practiced men are wanted, but chiefly you and others of your order. Prepare yourself for a journey, a work, a trial. You will have an excellent colleague, and though they still live, who sought the child's life, yet for some time past a door has been opened to you in the Lord. May he send you to us as soon as may be at once father campion held himself in readiness for the final call on the night before it came a certain simple old jesuit had written over his cell the words edmundus campionius martyr and so when interviewed by the rector of the college next day the young father blushing at his kindly words said the fathers seem indeed to guess something concerning me i hope their suspicions may be true so had the years of grace enabled a naturally timorous spirit to lay aside the fear of death and to face the dark future with unswerving courage we hear indeed that on receiving the command to set forth he being scarce able to hold tears for joy and tenderness of heart went to his chamber and there upon his knees to god offered himself wholly to his divine disposition without any exception or restraint whether it were to rack cross quartering or any other torment or death whatsoever father campion's fellow worker on the mission was father robert parsons a man of very different character who after many hairbreadth escapes died at last in his bed it is to his life of the martyr that we owe most of our information about the latter and it was he who disguised as a soldier preceded him to england a few days in advance such a peacock such a swagger writes father campion in one of his natural happy-hearted letters to his superior a man must needs have very sharp eyes to catch a glimpse of holiness beneath such a garb, such a look. Yet our minds cannot but misgive us when we hear all men, I will not say whispering, but crying the news of our coming. According to orders, I have stayed here at St. Omer's to try, if possible, to fish some news as to Father Robert's success out of the carriers before I sail across. If I hear anything, I will advise it but in any case i will go over and take a part in the fight though i die for it on the feast of st john the baptist fifteen eighty father edmund campion with the young lay brother robert emerson disguised as a jewel merchant and his servant landed at dover and was instantly apprehended by the searcher at the port who took him to be a mr allen brother of the founder of doway and charged him before the mayor as a foe of the queen's religion, sailing under a false name, as having been abroad for religion, and for returning to propagate popery. But when Campion offered to swear he was not Allen, some indecision arose. The mayor withdrew to consider the matter, and presently to Campion. As he stood there praying for the intercession of his patron, St. John the Baptist, and to God for deliverance, came forth an old clerk from the mayor, who said, You are dismissed. Good-bye to you. Being so happily and unexpectedly delivered from Dover, says Father Parsons, he made all the haste he could to come to London, where he was greatly desired, and much prayer was made for him. The greatest solicitude was how he would do, at his first arrival, FOR THAT HE KNEW NOT WHERE TO GO, BUT GOD PROVIDED BETTER FOR HIM HEREIN THAN HE COULD POSSIBLY IMAGINE. FOR COMING TO LAND UPON THE THAMES SIDE OF LONDON, THERE WAS THERE BY GOD'S PROVIDENCE A CERTAIN CATHOLIC THAT PARTLY BY HIS PERSON AND APPAREL described HIM BEFORE, AND PARTLY THAT HE WAS ACCOMPANIED BY A LITTLE MAN NAMED RALPH EMERSON. HE DID SUSPECT HIM TO BE THE MAN HE WANTED and so stepping to the boatside, side said mr Edmonds, for so he was called give me your hand i stay here for you to lead you to your friends with which speech father campion was wonderfully comforted these things make us realize to some extent what was the state of england at that time for an englishman to be ordained abroad and to return to his own land was not yet an act of treason but the whole country was swarming with spies and watchers ready to entrap those who did so the marvel was that their vigilance was so long eluded for on june twenty ninth the feast of st peter and paul we find father campion preaching to a band of enthusiastic catholics in the great hall of a house near smithfield while the doors were guarded by gentlemen of worship and honor, in place of porters, and this sermon on St. Peter's confession of faith, so stirred his hearers, that each of them supposed that if this loose Catholic, or that sincere Protestant, could be brought to speak with the preacher, the conversion of the wanderer would be secured. Hence Campion's coming was entrusted as a grand secret to half the world, and after a few days which he well spent in conference with all comers the council began to suspect what was on hand and set on foot a diligent search for his apprehension thus the enthusiastic young jesuit soon found his path strewn with dangers he was warned that false brothers pretended catholics would attend his sermons or his mass so that he had to content himself with private conferences and with saying mass secretly a young catholic on his way to visit Capian and parsons was apprehended by a spy in the street whereby the fathers were warned of their very present danger at another time they only escaped by the good will of a constable a catholic at heart who arrested another would-be visitor before he could reach their house whither he was being followed by this same spy and informer. It was therefore thought best that Parsons and Campion should leave London separately, and begin their work in the country, where there was indeed much to be done. For by this time fear or indolence had caused many, who were Catholics at heart, to conform to the Protestant religion. And we must again remind ourselves that this cannot be wondered at when we remember the very little encouragement they had to stand firm the lack of sacraments and of teachers and on the other hand the harsh treatment ruinous fines and long imprisonment that were the lot of those who refused to conform to such as these the jesuits went forth to call upon them to separate themselves from heresy and strong in the faith renewed by sacramental grace to face the consequences, however bitter they might be. Just before they left London, there came in hot haste a Catholic named Pound, who urged that something should be written by the fathers, that should disprove the rumor so industriously circulated by the Council that they had come to England for political purposes, to preach treason towards the Queen, upon which, being a man of singular good-nature and easy to be persuaded to whatever religion or piety inclined towards father campion rose from the company took a pen and in less than half an hour wrote the famous declaration addressed to the council known by his foes as campion's brag and challenge which ends with these most touching words many innocent hands are lifted up for you daily and hourly by those english students whose posterity shall not die which beyond the seas gathering virtue and sufficient knowledge for the purpose are determined never to give you over but either to win you to heaven or to die upon your pikes and touching our society be it known upon you that we have made a league all the jesuits in the world cheerfully to carry the cross that you shall lay upon us and never to despair your recovery while we have a man left to enjoy your tyburn or to be racked with your torments or to be consumed with your prisons the expense is reckoned the enterprise is begun it is of god it cannot be withstood so the faith was planted, so it must be restored. Though this document was only written for a case of emergency, Pound was so delighted with it that he could not help publishing it broadcast among both friends and foes, with the result that as Campion's name became more famous, the danger to his life and freedom rapidly increased. Meantime the two priests were busy enough The country people were more tender of conscience than those who lived near the court, and did not hesitate to bring their scruples and doubts to the Jesuit fathers, even at great risk of detection. Letters written to Rome at this period give a vivid picture of the way in which the mission was carried on. When a priest comes to their houses they first salute him as a stranger unknown to them and then they take him to an inner chamber where an oratory is set up where all fall on their knees and beg his blessing if he says he must go on the morrow they all prepare for confession that evening the next morning they hear mass and receive holy communion then after preaching and giving his blessing a second time the priest is conducted on his journey by one of the young men of the house Sometimes says another letter, when we are sitting merrily at table, conversing familiarly on matters of faith and devotion, there comes a hurried knock at the door, like that of a pursuivant. All start up and listen. We leave our food and commend ourselves to God in a brief ejaculation, nor is word or sound heard till the servants come to say what the matter is. THE EFFECT OF THE STIRRING WORDS OF THE Jesuits WAS SOON APPARENT. NO ONE IS TO BE FOUND IN THESE PARTS WHO COMPLAINS OF THE LENGTH OF SERVICES. IF A MASS DOES NOT LAST NEARLY AN HOUR, MANY ARE DISCONTENTED. A LADY WAS LATELY TOLD THAT SHE SHOULD BE LET OUT OF PRISON IF SHE WOULD ONCE WALK THROUGH A CHURCH. SHE REFUSED. SHE HAD COME INTO PRISON WITH A SOUND CONSCIENCE and she would depart with it or die in the days of henry the father of this elizabeth the whole kingdom with all its bishops and learned men abjured their faith at one word of the tyrant but now in his daughter's days boys and women boldly professed their faith before the judge and refused to make the slightest concession even at the threat of death we hear write the fathers themselves that one month since more than fifty thousand names of persons who refused to go to the heretical churches have been reported we although all conversation with us is forbidden by proclamation are yet most earnestly invited everywhere many take long journeys only to speak with us and put themselves and their fortune entirely in our hands and Campion adds a personal touch. After begging for more laborers to be sent into the vineyard, I cannot long escape the hands of the heretics. The enemies have so many eyes, so many tongues, so many scouts and crafts. I am, in apparel peril to myself, very ridiculous. I often change it, and my name also. I read letters sometimes myself that, in the first front, tell news that campion is taken which noised in every place where i come so filleth my ears with the sound thereof that fear itself hath taken away all fear my soul is ever in my hands let such as you send for supply premeditate and make count of this always marry the solaces that are ever intermingled with these miseries are so great that they do not only countervail the fear that may come, but by infinite sweetness make all worldly pains, be they never so great seem nothing. They will find consciences that are pure, courage invincible, zeal incredible, a work so worthy the number innumerable of every age and sex, both of high degree, of mean calling, and of the inferior sort. Eighty years later the memory of the stirring sermons of Father Campion were still green in the north country, where he was now preaching almost daily, though in imminent danger of apprehension. At Blainscow Hall he nearly fell into the hands of a pursuivant who followed him as he was walking through the garden to the house but here he was saved by the quick action of a catholic maid-servant who treating him as though he had been an overbold farm-servant pushed him into the horse-pond from which he emerged covered with green slime and quite unrecognisable meantime a bill was being rushed through parliament which made it treason to absolve any englishman to convert him to popery, to move him thereto, or to do any overt act tending that way. The saying or hearing of Mass was forbidden, under penalty of two hundred marks and a year's imprisonment, and a system of fines for refusing to attend the Protestant services was imposed, which eventually ruined those who held to the faith and became for half a century one of the great items in the budget of the chancellor of the exchequer in the whitsuntide of fifteen eighty one campion returned to london at father parson's request to see to the printing of his book ten reasons in support of his previous challenge to those who opposed the catholic faith visiting harrow the home of one of his most zealous converts from his various abodes in london he would pass tyburn gate just beyond the present marble arch where stood the triangular gallows ready for the weekly sacrifice of murderers thieves traitors or priests his first victim had been dr story whose martyrdom he had seen and partly in honour of his memory and that of other martyrs partly because he knew it was to be one day the scene of his own conflict he was wont to walk between the posts bareheaded and with a deep obeisance to the tree of the cross of which it was the emblem his active work on earth was getting very near its completion in july fifteen eighty one his book secretly printed was openly published and took the world by storm we can only quote from it the last stirring words addressed to elizabeth the queen listen elizabeth mighty queen i tell thee one heaven cannot receive calvin and these thy ancestors the kings of christendom join thyself therefore to them be worthy of thy name of thy genius of thy learning of thy fame of thy fortune thus only do i conspire thus only will i conspire against thee whatever becomes of me who am so often threatened with the gallows as a conspirator against thy life hail thou good cross the day shall come elizabeth the day that will show thee clearly who loved thee best the society of jesus or the brood of luther meanwhile there was one dogging his steps the spy george eliot a renegade catholic who to escape the penalty of a charge for murder hoped to win favour with the court by the capture of the notorious jesuit finding that campion had been sent for safety out of london he discovered that he was about to visit at a house called the moat at lyford the residence of a mrs Yeat. And laid his plans accordingly. Acting under Parsons' orders, however, the priest moved on next day to Oxford and reached an inn on the outskirts of the city, where a number of university men had assembled to meet him. There he was overtaken by a priest named Ford, who had been one of Mrs. Yates' guests, and who now implored him to return and preach to a number of Catholics who had come to the moat after his departure and who were bitterly disappointed at having arrived too late his companion brother ralph emerson was strongly opposed to his return but the father's cheery confidence overruled him and campion returned for the sunday july sixteenth to find more than sixty catholics many of the moxford men waiting to hear mass and to listen to his last most wonderful sermon on the tears of jesus over jerusalem but among that devoted throng knelt one eliot the traitor who only hesitated to apprehend him in the very act of saying mass because of the crowd of stalwart catholic youths by whom he was surrounded immediately after the sermon he hurried away and scarcely was the evening meal finished before a watcher reported that the house was surrounded by armed men, Father Campion would have saved the rest by delivering himself up at once, but this was not allowed. With the two other priests, Ford and Collington, he was hurried into a secret room hollowed out of the wall above the gateway, where there was just room for a narrow bed upon which they lay side by side, with their hands uplifted in prayer all the long hot afternoon they heard the sounds of tapping and breaking wood as every part of the house was searched in vain when evening came the magistrate so hurriedly summoned by elliot denounced him as a gull and asking pardon of his neighbour mrs yate for the trouble he had caused her took his departure to her unmeasured and possibly too openly shown satisfaction outside hot recriminations ensued between elliot and the searchers whom the former accused of favoring the catholics in their attempt frightened by the apprehension of one of their number who had detected elliot in the fact that he had no warrant for destroying or breaking down the walls of the house they consented to return and very nearly came right upon the fugitives who had left their narrow quarters and were in the midst of a torrent of thanksgiving and congratulation from the inmates of the house they had just time to slip back while mrs yate reproached the magistrate and insisted that she should be allowed her night's rest to this he agreed and she at once had her bed made up in the room out of which opened the stair leading to the secret chamber weary with the vain search And heavy with the ale so liberally supplied, the sheriff's men were soon asleep in the hall and passages, and escape might yet have been possible had not Mrs. Yate, with incredible lack of caution, insisted that Father Campion should preach one more sermon to the little congregation hastily assembled within her room. He was willing enough, but they, excited by his eloquence, lost all sense of danger and when one of the priests fell on the stairway they made a commotion which roused the guards once more the three priests escaped by the skin of their teeth their hearers also dispersing through secret passages in the darkness while the men searched mrs yates's room thoroughly but in vain the next morning when elliot pale with disappointed fury was about to depart ushered out by a servant who was in the secret all along he suddenly struck the wall over the stairs exclaiming we have not broken through here yet the man lost his nerve stammered out that he should have thought enough had been broken and showed such confusion that elliot took an axe smashed the wall and disclosed the narrow passage in which lay the three priests calm and composed awaiting their fate when we next see our martyr he rides into london the center of a great crowd his elbows tied behind him his hands in front with a paper stuck on his hat upon which is written campion the seditious jesuit the crowd cried out on elliot by the name of judas but the priest had forgiven him for his share of the foul work for when the wretched man said to him as they left lyford mr campion you look cheerfully upon everybody but me i know you are angry with me for this work he replied god forgive thee elliot for so judging me i forgive thee and in token thereof i drink to thee yea and if thou wilt repent and come to confession i will absolve thee what large penance thou must have cheerfully still he rides upon his way of sorrows while some mock and others lament to see the land fallen to such barbarism as to abuse in this manner a gentleman famous throughout europe for his scholarship and his innocency of life and this before any trial or any proof against him passing the cross in cheapside he bows his comely head in a reverent obeisance crossing himself with his tied hands as far as he could and so rides onward to the tower whose grim gates close behind him and bring him one step nearer to the end when we next see edmund campion he is standing once more as on a bygone occasion in the presence of the earls of leicester and bedford he has been brought secretly from his dungeon known as little ease where he could neither stand upright nor lie at length to be questioned by Leicester as to why he had come to England, doubtless the Earl remembered the gallant youth of bygone days and looked with interest on the eager face worn with four nights watching and discomfort as Campion readily made answer to his interrogations. He seems indeed to have convinced them that his only purpose was the propagation of the faith, for they told him they found no fault in him. Save that he was a papist. But that, said he modestly, but with a glad look that was not to be mistaken, is my greatest glory. There was a rustle and a commotion at the door just then, and the prisoner, to his astonishment, found himself the object of an interested gaze of a richly dressed lady whose face he dimly remembered. What passed between Elizabeth and the Jesuit priest? is recorded in campion's own words at his trial the queen asked him if he acknowledged her as his sovereign to which he emphatically replied in the affirmative as to whether the pope could lawfully excommunicate her he refused to be the judge elizabeth with all her faults always loved pluck in a man and there is no doubt that she looked with no disfavour on the priest either then or later in the tower he was offered life, liberty, and high preferment in the Anglican Church if he would denounce his faith. But when he steadfastly refused either to abjure himself or to give up the names of his Catholic friends and converts, she made no attempt to save him, even from the horrors of the rack. Once again, we see him at a public conference with his fellow prisoners, Sherwin and others sitting on stools facing a table loaded with controversial literature at which sit the most learned protestant divines of that day his arms are almost dislocated with the rack his face is pale and drawn with physical pain and with the anxiety caused by the persistent rumors that he has betrayed his friends rumors that were groundless as far as any new information was concerned but which were industriously spread abroad in order to injure his reputation with the catholics yet in these so-called conferences the future martyr bore himself so calmly and gave such clear and weighty answers to the insulting and threatening questions hurled at him that even the protestant bishops who were present declared that the discussions did more harm than good to their cause they thought the rack was their better argument and three times he was so cruelly used that when his jailer asked him in sheer pity and admiration of his pluck how his hands and feet felt he answered with that brave sweet smile of his not ill because not at all finding it useless to try to shake his constancy thus and fearing a reaction among the london populace which was already making ballads in his praise the council condemned him with sherwin and bryant to be executed at tyburn on the first of the ensuing month of december a curious fact is recorded of the judge who sat awaiting the return of the jury on that day pulling off his glove he found all his hand and his seal of arms bloody without any token of wrong pricking or hurt and being dismayed therewith wiping it went not away but still returned he showed it to the gentleman that sat before him who can be witnesses of it to this day the verdict of the jury says an old writer was the most unjust that ever was given in this land whereat already in 1582 not only england but all the christian world doth wonder and which our posterity shall lament and be ashamed of the three priests heard their condemnation in dignified silence but when asked if they had ought to say campion spoke these eloquent and unforgettable words if our religion doth make us traitors we are worthy to be condemned but otherwise are and have been as true subjects as ever the queen had In condemning us you condemn all your own ancestors all the ancient priests bishops and kings all that was once the glory of england the isle of saints and the most devoted child of the see of peter for what have we taught however you may qualify it with the odious name of treason that they did not uniformly teach to be contemned with these old lights by their degenerate descendants, in both gladness and glory to us, God lives, prosperity will live their judgment is not so liable to corruption as that of those who are now about to sentence us to death in the splash and mud of a rainy December morning. Campion was brought forth from his cell, clad in a gown of Irish frieze and was taken to coal harbour tower where he found sherwin and bryant waiting for him outside the tower a vast crowd was already collected campion nothing daunted looked cheerfully round and saluted them god save you all gentlemen god bless you and make you all good catholics then he knelt and prayed with his face towards the east concluding with the words in monas domine commendo spiritum meum there were two hurdles in waiting each tied to the tails of two horses on one sherwin and bryant were laid and bound campion on the other as they were dragged through the gutters and filth each hurdle was followed by a rabble of ministers and fanatics these however were soon daunted by the wind and rain and by the pace of the horses there were intervals during which sundry catholics spoke to campion of matters of conscience and received comfort one gentleman like saint veronica in another via della rosa either for pity or affection courteously wiped his face all spattered with mire and dirt as he was drawn most miserably through thick and thin for which charity says the priest who saw it done or haply some sudden-moved affection god reward him and bless him as they passed the niche over the arch of newgate where stood as yet untouched the image of our lady campion with difficulty raised himself upon his hurdle and saluted her a priest who saw the martyrs on their way constantly declared they had a smile on their faces and as they drew near tyburn They actually laughed. There was a cry raised among the people, but they laugh, they don't care for death. It had been a weary daybreak, but when they reached that place of execution, the sun shone out from the dark clouds upon the tiny group of martyrs and upon the great crowd assembled to see their end. Campion was the first to put his head into the halter and standing thus upon the cart below. He declared emphatically that he died as a Catholic man and a priest for his religion, and in that alone was he found guilty. Then, in the midst of the wrangling and questioning that the Protestant ministers kept up all around the scaffold, Father Campion quietly said his prayers. Once, indeed, when rudely interrupted and urged to say a prayer with his opponents, he looked up. And said gently you and i are not one in religion wherefore i pray you content yourself i bar none of prayer but i only desire them of the household of faith to pray for me and in mine agony to say one creed but when called on to pray for the queen he gladly agreed saying i wish her a long quiet reign with all prosperity While he was speaking these last words, the cart was drawn away, and he, amid the tears and groans of the vast multitude, meekly and sweetly yielded his soul unto his Saviour, protesting that he died a true Catholic. In accordance with the demands of the crowd, he was not cut down till he had ceased to live. Sherwin, his fellow martyr, kissed his blood upon the hands of the hangman, after the cruel work of quartering had been accomplished, and died with the words, Hesu, 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 be to me a Hesu upon his lips. And Bryant, a very fair young man, not more than twenty-eight years of age, praised God openly, that he had made him worthy to suffer death for the Catholic faith, in company with one whom he so revered from the moment of his martyrdom the pure and beautiful soul of edmund campion called others to their conversion already his bearing during the trial had been the means of the conversion of philip earl of arundel and as we shall see in a future chapter it was a few drops of campion's blood splashing from the cauldron on to his garment that turned henry walpole from a wavering catholic into an ardent witness to the faith With one verse from the epitaph written by the latter, we must close this all too brief account of one of the most attractive of the band of martyrs. Blessed be God, which lent him so much grace. Thanked be Christ, which blessed this martyr so. Happy is he, which seeth his master's face. Cursed all they that thought to work him woe. Bounden be we to give eternal praise. To Jesus' name, which such a man did raise. End of chapter 8. Recording by John Brandon.